Yeah. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. So with that, we're talking about something pretty important tonight. So here's the thing, guys. One of the most important aspects of your character is your speech. The way that you talk and the things that you say is a massive part of who you are and what your character is worth because our speech is such a difficult thing to control. It's so easy to just say things without thinking. And so a lot of times when there's something in your heart, it's going to slip out through your words, perhaps before it slips out through a lot of other things. So the way that someone talks and the things they talk about and the weight of their word is actually a massive indicator of the person's character themselves. And I mean, it's really easy to not think about those things because people just assume that it's minor and they'll treat it as minor in our culture. But God says that on the day of judgment, each person will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's rough, man. It's really rough. It's crazy. James says that if anyone controls his tongue, he is a perfect man. Like, the tongue is really major and the way that you manage the way your speech is huge. And so that's actually the portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about tonight. Jesus is once again addressing a misinterpretation among the Pharisees of the Old Testament that had made its way into essentially pop culture of the time. And he's talking about and bringing them back to what God had actually commanded. Which is actually a big thing, by the way. This is something that we haven't been touching on over the last few weeks because the last few weeks have just been like fat with a pH. Like... Just a lot of stuff to go through. But something that's major is that in none of these situations is Jesus reinterpreting the Old Testament. In every situation, Jesus isn't saying the Old Testament says this, but I say this. He's saying your teachers have twisted the Old Testament this way. This is what it means, and this is what I'm holding you to. So we're going to touch on that tonight. But in verse 33 of chapter 5, Jesus says, Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so the thing that we're looking at is that there is a few Old Testament passages that Jesus is kind of referring to them twisting right here. This is drawn from a few places, but one of them is Leviticus 19.12. And it says, you shall not swear falsely by my name. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. In Numbers 30, or chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to him, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And in Deuteronomy 23, 21, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So the issue is this. When you hear that, you see that God is taking a very major stance on the holiness of his name. He's saying, you cannot swear by my name and then break your vow. Because when you are swearing on something, like if you've ever heard someone say, you know, I swear on my mother's grave. They're essentially saying, I'm not going to dishonor my mother and the memory of my mother by breaking my word here. So when you say, I'm swearing by the name of God, when you break your vow, you're smearing God's reputation. Additionally, when you made a vow back in the Old Testament or back in these ancient times, you were essentially saying, let this person be a witness against me if I do this. Like if someone like swore a vow before God and then they didn't keep it, there was actually a fairly real expectation that God might smite them. 
Like, if you were like, I swear by the name of God that I didn't do that thing, and then lightning didn't come down and kill you, it was almost kind of lightly assumed that you were telling the truth because you're swearing and you're saying, God, hold me accountable if I'm lying. Like, you're literally praying, God, punish me if I'm lying. What? I don't know. I mean, there were a lot of situations. There's a whole conversation to be had about that that I'm not going to get into. But you've got, yeah. So, but essentially, it's a really big deal to swear by something. You're saying, be a witness against the two of us. It'd be like if you went to a mediator or some third-party lawyer and said, this lawyer is going to keep both of us honest. And if either of us breaks our vow, then like these are the legal ramifications that will come at us. It's kind of like that doing that with God as your intermediary. So there's two aspects. Aspect number one is you're staking God's reputation on your telling of the truth because you're identifying yourself as one of his people. And if you break your word, that reflects poorly on God. Additionally, you're asking God to be a witness between you. So that's like what these passages are talking about. But the way that this had been twisted by the time you get to Jesus' day is they would say, oh, you shall not swear falsely by the name of God. And if you vow to God, then you have to do what you say. And if you break a vow to God, then you're sinning. But what if you're not making a vow to God? What if you don't vow on God? What if you vow on something different? What if I make a vow by the hair of my head? I'm not swearing by God. And it became kind of this thing where like the same way that in the modern day, there's people who cross their fingers and they're like, I said I would do that, but my fingers were crossed when I said it. And that's like one of those little childish things that people will do to get out of like keeping their promises. That's more or less what the Pharisees were doing. They're like, okay, I swear by the biggest thing I can think of that isn't quite God so that you think I'm going to keep my word, but actually I'm not swearing on God. So an example of this is there's another passage where Jesus talks about this in Matthew 23, and he's saying, woe to you blind guides, he's talking to the Pharisees, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So what Jesus essentially says is if you swear by anything, you're swearing by God. Because he essentially says, like, if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the person who created it. If you swear by the altar, you're swearing by the thing that's on it. And who owns the gift on that altar? God. Who owns that altar? God. Anything you swear on, God owns it. And Jesus is essentially saying, like, first of all, think about how childish this is. These were adults. These were lawyers and teachers, and they were like, oh, hey, 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 I swore on the temple, guys, not by the gold of the temple, so I don't have to do what I said. Like, it's like five-year-olds bickering about stupid things, and these are like the holiest, quote-unquote, people in Israel. And Jesus is looking at them, and it's just like, you're dumb. No. Why am I having to set this straight? And so the thing that Jesus is saying is it's like, no, stop. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't swear by things. Don't make vows. And one of the things that it comes down to is that a vow shouldn't be necessary. When you say something, 
what you say should be reliable, as though it were a vow. People shouldn't need to arbitrate between you. What was that uh, verse on repeat an account of our careless words on Judgment Day? What was that from? Yeah. Uh, let me... Every careless word. I think that's Matthew. I actually have it. Let me just grab it from my notes. So that verse is Matthew twelve thirty six. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Okay, thank you. Yeah, man. So that's the first thing, is that they'd be making vows, they'd be breaking vows, and they'd be like, oh, I didn't swear on that thing, though. So one of the things that you need to start with is that breaking a vow is lying. Breaking a vow is lying. So, first of all, lying is lying, duh. And then breaking a vow is lying, and there's no way to like cross your fingers and get out of it. You're supposed to be honest with people. And one of the things that this kind of comes out in is that the Pharisees had a system in their culture where essentially lies were expected. It was expected that you'd be having to keep track of what they swore on. And anytime someone started swearing, it'd be like, why are you swearing? Are you trying to like get around this? Why can't you just be frank with me? Like, it almost became more of like a a predictor that someone was lying to you than it was something securing their word. Because it's like promises became essentially worthless because you're swearing by all these things that you have no intention of keeping up on. And so think about in our culture. Like it's easy to look back at the Pharisees and be like, those dumb Pharisees, what idiots. (laughs) But in our own culture, there are situations where it's actually expected that you're going to lie. We call them white lies. And things like, hey honey, does this dress make me look fat? No. Yeah, right? It's like, no, it doesn't. No, not at all. And things like that, where people use those kinds of examples. Like another, here's some more examples. It's like if your kid's going to the doctor and they're about to get a shot, and then the kid says, is it going to hurt? And you're like, no, the shot's not going to hurt. And you know it's going to hurt, but you need them to you know, be, be quiet before they get the shot so you can get it over with. Or is the tooth fairy real? How many of our parents told us the tooth fairy was real? Yeah. So Larry Newell, one of the guys in our church, he'll come up to you and he'll say, hey, what's your name? And you'll be like, oh, it's this. And he says, how do you know that's your name? It's like, well, because my parents gave me that name. And it's like, oh, yeah? Did your parents tell you that Santa's real? No. Well, well, yeah, they did. Well, did your parents tell you that the tooth fairy is real? Well, well, yeah. So what you're telling me is your parents have a history of lying to you. And you're trusting their word to know what your name is. And he'll kind of get people like, that's kind of a joke situation. But he'll get people like, like, there's things in our culture that just like, yeah, everyone lies about. Or here's another one. When my dad was raising kids, he got advice from someone in the church. And this person in the church said, you know, when my kids ask me if I've ever struggled with this sin, I tell them no. You know, if my kids ever ask me if, like, I smoked weed, then I'll say no. Because if they find out that I did it, even if I tell them that they shouldn't, they'll still do it because I did it. And he would lie to his kids about that. And he actually advised our dad to do something similar. That he should lie to us if we ask him about those questions. And one of the things that my parents personally had as a conviction is that they would not lie to us. They didn't tell us that Santa was real. They didn't tell us that the tooth fairy was real. And when we asked them about things that they didn't think the answer would be helpful to us, they said, I'm not going to answer that right now because I don't think it's helpful. But maybe in a few years we'll talk about it. And one of the things our dad told us is that you're allowed to tell the truth. You're allowed to say nothing, but you are not allowed to lie. And so that's one of those things where every culture has those things where it's like, oh, it's acceptable to say this. It's expected that you're going to lie about this to this person or that person. But what Jesus is saying is that honesty matters. And the thing that we're going to talk about next is breaking a vow is lying. So even doing the normally acceptable ways of lying is still lying. And the issue is that God 
hates lies. God hates lies. L-I-E-S. I thought I spelled that right. Is that all right? Oh, perfect. Okay, perfect. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, was, I was getting nervous, man. My whole life. Yeah, man. Uh, so God hates lies. And, I mean, there's a lot of places that you can look at from this kind of thing, but it actually flows from God's own character. Like in Leviticus 19, we were reading that verse. Uh, Leviticus 19.12 said... You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the, the name of your God. I am the Lord. And the issue is we represent God. Like Leviticus is written to the people of Israel to say, you represent me. And that means that this is the way you're going to behave. And then in Peter's epistles, he says, you are a holy nation, a holy priesthood. And God has said, you shall be holy for I am holy. So in the same way that the Israelites represented God in the Old Testament, we as Christians represent God now. And so the issue is, what reputation are we giving God? Because if you are a dishonest person, and if all of God's followers are dishonest people, that says something about the God they follow. The exact same way that like, when a kid is at church and he's being super rowdy and you know misbehaving and all that good stuff, everyone's always like, oh, whose parents is that? Like, whose kid is that? And it's like your behavior as a kid reflects on your parents. And your behavior as a Christian rep, uh, reflects on the Father, right? And the issue is, is God a liar? Well, no. It says this kind of thing all over the place, but Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. What has he said that he will not do? Or what has he spoken that he will not fulfill? And that also kind of draws a couple categories. It says, what has he said and he will not do it? What has he spoken that he will not fulfill? When we talk about lying, it's not just about misrepresenting truth. It's about making a promise that you don't intend to keep or failing to keep a promise that you have made. And we're going to touch on that a bit more. But God is not a liar. We represent God. And more than that, I'm going to give you some verses from Proverbs that talk about how God feels about lying. In Proverbs 12:22, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. And our job is to be the kind of people that God delights in. In Proverbs 13, 5, it says, The righteous hate falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Wait, what verse is that again? Uh, Proverbs 13, 5. And the interesting thing with that is our goal is to be righteous, right? And that means that as righteous people, we are supposed to hate falsehood. And why do righteous people hate falsehood? Because God hates falsehood, and we're supposed to be like God. In Proverbs 14, 5, it says, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. And the issue is, you're not just a witness when you're on a legal stand. You're a witness whenever you talk about anything. Is your word reliable? I always grew up hearing that the weight of a man's character is the weight of his word. That the most important way that you measure what a man's worth is, is by what he says and how his honest he is. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me for a long time. And it's major. Because the issue is, God hates lies. Breaking a vow is lying. And as Christians, Christians are honest. Or I should say ought to be honest. But I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay R anyway. Christians are honest. One of the things that is supposed to define a Christian is honesty. In Colossians 3, 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Saying you've been saved out of that. Before you came to Christ, you were a liar by nature, just like everyone is. But God has given you a new heart. God has made you a new creation. Don't keep living out the things that should have passed away. In Psalm 119, 163, when David is talking about the truth of God, he says, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. And God's law prescribes honesty. All of these are verses that the Pharisees forgot to think about. When they were looking at people and saying, oh, I swore by the temple, not the gold in the temple. And it's like, grow up. God hates lying. And the people of God are supposed to be honest people. So I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 15. This is a second set of verses that we're going to look at real quick. And it's a pretty short psalm. Psalm 15. 15. 1-5. It's a pretty short psalm, so you can actually memorize the whole thing. Whoa. Did I say Psalm 15? Because this is definitely not Psalm 15. Now that I'm looking at that, I think I wrote down the wrong psalm in my notes. Let me try Psalm. Oh, it's because I was in the book of Proverbs like a noob. Holy cow. Proverbs. <laughs> I'm like, that does not look. So I said Psalm 15 and then I turned to Proverbs 15. And I was like, that doesn't look like what I expected. It is Psalm 15. I just don't know how to turn pages in a Bible, apparently. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a failure, guys. Okay. <laughs> So Psalm 15, relatively short Psalm. And it says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? In other words, who's going to be with God? In other words, who are Christians? People who dwell with God. People who will dwell with God in the future. So in other words, hey God, who do you let into your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, and who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interests, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Which, first of all, notice how much of that relates to the person's word. He who speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue. He who does not take up a reproach against his friend. The one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. When you tell someone that you're going to do something and you realize that it's going to cost you significantly more than you realized when you made that <coughs> vow, do you do it anyway? My dad talks about this one guy who worked as a software engineer and he would work as an independent contractor for people. So they would say, hey, we need this thing made. He'd say, okay, that'll take me three years. So here's how much I'm going to cost, uh, how much I'm going to uh, pay, cost you for it. So they'd sign the contract and uh, charge them for it. Yeah. So he'd sign the contract. And there was one time that he took a job and he got it way off. He thought that he would be able to build the thing for them in one year. And it ended up taking him three. He could have just broken the contract, whatever, pulled out, given the money back, left. What the guy did instead is even though he was only going to get paid for one year of his time, he actually spent the whole three years building what he had promised them and delivered. So even though it took him much longer, even though he only was able to do 33% of the labor at actual pay, he still fulfilled his commitment to that company. 
And that's the kind of way that we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be people that are identified and that live by the truth. You're supposed to fulfill promises even to your hurt. You're supposed to understand that there are no white lies. And one of the ways that comes out, by the way, and this is a big one that one of my youth pastors would talk to us about a bunch. He would talk about being on time to things. If you say that you're going to be somewhere to meet with someone at 8.30 in the morning, be there at 8.30. If you say that you're going to be there to meet with someone at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, be there at 3 o'clock. You told that person when you would be there, and you're supposed to be there when you said you would be. Because that's one of those areas where it's really common and really easy to kind of like slip up and not hold true to the thing that you promised. But do you care about the commitment that you've made? Because you represent God. And when you are lying, it tells people that God is okay with lying, and he's not. And we are supposed to represent God to people. So in conclusion, your word is the weight of your character. And as a Christian, you represent the God of truth. So what you do with your word matters. The most passing commitment or the most passing comment you make should be as reliable as the most important contract you ever sign. Like, for me personally, if someone hears me say, I'll be somewhere at some time, they should think to themselves, yeah, John will be there. Or if they like put a gun to my head and they say, now are you going to be there at this time, John? If you don't, something's coming for you. Like my word in that situation should be as reliable as the most passing comment I make. Because as people, we are people of the God of truth. And what we say represents God. So... Be people of honesty. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. The smallest phrase you make should be reliable. So, let's bow our heads, pray it out, do some small groups. <sighs> Lord, thank you that you are reliable. Thank you that you don't lie. Thank you that when we read things in the word, we don't have to wonder if they're true. That when you make us promises about where we came from or where we're going, that we can rely on them. When you make promises to us, like things like, you know, if you repent and have faith, I'll let you into heaven. Things that if they're not true, we're just jacked. But because you said them, we can have faith in it. Because you don't lie. Lord, I pray that we would be people that have that same kind of honesty. Because honesty is important, because honesty is important to you, because you are honest. Help us to be honest like you are honest. Help people to be able to rely on the things we say in the same way that we rely on the things that you say. That we would qualify the things that we need to qualify, that we would hold true to the commitments that we make, and that, Lord, we would have a high standard on that. Lord, make us honest. And I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.